Hey there, podcast listeners. Since the time of recording this episode, we've changed our name to be Truest Leadership Institute. You can learn more about this podcast and about the Truest Leadership Institute by visiting us on the web at truestleadershipinstitute.com. And now, back to the episode. You've done all your pre-work on your change initiative, and now's the big day, the time to act. We rejoin Ramonda Kaiser and Dr. Steve Swavely from the Leadership Institute to find out exactly what we need to do to make the act stage as successful as possible. So we've talked about motivate. We've talked about communicate. Tell me about act. Well, act is where we begin to execute on the strategies. Many organizations jump the gun with this. They go here first. That's really? right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They, they don't come, even tell anybody that they're doing a change. A just... lot of times, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll identify a need and then they start acting. They start initiating. And they haven't done all of the previous groundwork, laid the groundwork with the previous stages. And so that creates turmoil within the organization. So an example of that might be, let's, let's think back to the company that is moving locations. An example might be they go and they just buy the building and maybe it comes out in the press release that so-and-so has bought a building and <laughs> yeah. you know, something like that. Yeah. New jobs opening up right. in Flint, Michigan or something like right, that. Right, right. And then you, you as a person on my team come to me and ask the question, hey, are, are, are we moving? <laughs> right. And I go, oh yeah, we are moving. And that's where we've, Put the act before all the other stages. And destroy trust, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's one, one of the things that we do when we work with a group is we will have them identify the stages of organizational change and ask them to kind of order them, which comes first, which comes second, which comes third. And it's not uncommon to see organizations put act in the very front, not necessarily the first, but mm -hmm. very, very far forward in the process, much more, much sooner than it, than it should be. I think if I were to order it, just based on the three we've talked about before, if I were to do it before we even sat down and had this conversation, I probably would have said, communicate, act, then motivate. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's usually the order people get it in. Yeah. And when that, when that happens, it does create a lot of distrust and a lot mm -hmm. of turmoil because some of the more foundational pieces have not been laid. We don't, we don't have a core change team. We, the vision maybe is not clear. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the understanding of why all this is happening hasn't been, been laid out there. And that's when, People begin making things up, as we talked mm. about, and what they make up is almost never positive. Mm. So let's say that we take it in order that we're proposing. Motivate, communicate, act. Tell me about consolidate. That's step four. Consolidate is about, one, celebrating our success and evaluating our change. And what have we learned about our change that needs some tweaks and making those changes, implementing them to make sure that we're moving forward. Um, consolidate is about make, how do we make sure that this is going to be a process or a change that is going to be a part of our, 
our now going forward culture. Mm. Yeah, it's really about celebrating your successes and fine-tuning those things that still aren't working. Are there occasions where you might go all the way through and get to consolidate and you need to back up and do another step? Um, I would say our experience has been that we work with a lot of organizations that um, didn't lay the proper foundation mm-hmm. and they've already acted and we then get called in because the change initiative is 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 failing. Right. And so we will very intentionally back the bus up and start with whatever stages that were neglected or omitted. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have to kind of start the process over, which is which is really messy, but there's no other way to do it. Once the once the horse is out of the barn, it's hard to get them back in. And so it's important for organizations to think through all of these things before they actually start on any kind of change initiative. Now, I know that you both work quite a bit with organizations who are preparing for leading their company through some kind of change. What would you, when would you recommend is the best time for them to come and maybe ask for help? If, if we were to get involved at the sweet spot, Where's the sweet spot? The sooner the better. better. Okay. <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. Even when you don't have a formalized change initiative identified, but mm-hmm. you know something needs to evolve or change, call us. Yeah, a lot of times organizations, um, I can think of two scenarios. I'm, I'm an organization uh, that's struggling, and I'm trying to, find my footing and I know that changes need to happen. I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, or we have an organization that's very successful, but wants to go to the next level and they're, they're trying to grow and they want to take the whole organization to the next level, but not quite sure exactly either how to do it or not quite sure exactly the steps that are required to execute on what they want, what they, what they know they want to have happen. If you were to leave one key takeaway for our listeners, what would that be? Ramonda? Change is messy and one size does not fit all. Ah. And to be flexible in your approach. Okay. Steve? Yeah. For me, it would be what we said in one of the earlier podcasts, and that is that people don't resist change. They resist the beliefs they have about the change. And if I recognize that as a leader, then I can use that to help change the the beliefs of the people that need to move through that change process. Using a lot of the skills and the strategies that we've talked about in this podcast. That wraps up our series on change management. On our next episode, we'll talk to Bright Dixon and Jeremy Spidell from the Leadership Institute to learn more about how you can leverage positive psychology in your workplace. And make sure to listen all the way past the end credits of this episode. We've added a little special treat for you. For show notes or for additional information, please visit us at bbtleadershipinstitute.com. Hey, wait, wait, wait. We're not done yet. Are you ready to add a new podcast to your subscription list? 
We recommend Let's Go with host Christy Sammons from BB&T, now Truist. In just a moment, we'll play you a couple minutes from the recent episode, Fraudsters Targeting Your Finances. If you like what you hear, you can find them on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and at BBT.com. We hope you enjoy. So what we're seeing on the consumer side is actually very similar to a business email compromise attack that we see on the corporate side. In both instances, the fraudsters are going to use familiarity. So with, with business email compromise, it's an email you're getting from a trusted source like your CEO, a vendor, or a known client. And then you, that then tricks you into changing wiring instructions or setting up a new payment, mm-hmm. something of that matter. With the, on the consumer side, the fraudsters are exploiting the caller ID. So that pops up on your phone to appear to be from a trusted source, such as your bank, your mobile phone provider, or even a government agency. So again, now you're, you're kind of tricked into thinking this trusted source is calling you. And this type of attack is called caller ID okay. spoofing. So walk me through a scenario. I've read some news articles about what's going on, but tell me what has happened in these situations that people need to be aware of. So referring to news articles, you might have seen in early June, there was a segment on NBC Nightly News where consumers were sharing stories of receiving calls from their banks, specifically the fraud department. Mm-hmm. Um, was calling them to discuss suspicious information on their account. So in those instances, um, it was a fraudster calling them, pretending to be their bank, and they were spoofing the bank's fraud care center, mm-hmm. call center, on that call. And then they were kind of lulling the client into feeling this security and asking them some questions, they knew information about the client, you know, their name, their address, some of that type of information. And then they say, you know, Christy, in order to authenticate you, I'm going to send you a one-time passcode via text message. When you get that, read that back to me, um, and then we'll proceed with making sure we get this situation cleared up for you. In reality, when they were sending that one-time passcode or or OTP is sometimes what it's called, they were, that was actually the bank sending the client that authentication piece uh-huh. that then the client was then supposed to enter in so that they could proceed with the transaction. So by giving that to the bad guy, they were kind of releasing the keys for these Zelle so transactions. So it's almost like they gave the and yes the for it. Exactly. So I'm not sure if, if everybody's aware what Zelle is. It is a newer product that the banks have. It's, it's a real-time payment where you can send, I, you can give me your email address or your cell phone number, and I can then use that to send you, you know, money to pay for the mm-hmm. dinner that you paid mm-hmm. for the night before. But a lot of times, you have to have a one-time passcode in order to send that payment, and the fraudsters are asking our, the consumers for that information, and that's how that, that gotcha. scam is So, But just, these are more than Zelle often, aren't they? It's not just a Zelle situation. Absolutely. In a very similar scenario, again, fraudsters spoofing the phone number of the consumer's bank saying, you know, this is the fraud department. We've seen some fraudulent transactions on your account. And they'll read off the transactions that you absolutely know you didn't Mm -hmm. do. You know, there's a Delta transaction for $800. And the, the client will say, oh, my gosh, no, that wasn't me. And then they'll say, okay, well, in order to authenticate you, I'm going to need you to provide me with the PIN number to your mm. debit card. 
that's one way. Or I've also seen some situations where they'll say, in order to authenticate you, I'm going to transfer you into this telephone line. When you get into that line, go ahead and enter your card number, your PIN number, and then I'll come back on the line. Yeah. So they do that because, you know, many banks are sending messages out saying, we're never going to ask you for this information verbally. So the, the bad guys, I mean, they're smart. They said, okay, if they're not going to ask you for it verbally, we'll, we'll add another trick into this where it looks like you're not asking verbally. You're having to enter it into this system. So that's another way that they're getting past that. And now the bad guys have your PIN number. So they've created counterfeit cards, and they have your PIN number, and they're able to go to ATMs and, and wow. withdraw them. Wow. There's so much more where that came from. Again, you can find Let's Go on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and at bbt.com. Thanks, Leadership Amplitude listeners. We'll see you next time. Leadership Amplitude is a podcast production of the BB&T Leadership Institute. All rights reserved.